It's good to have you again with us this morning, and uh, we're looking forward to the rest of the service here and what God has. I'm so thankful uh, to be able to be uh, just a part of Riverside, to be a part of Fusion, and uh, just really uh, have grown to love uh, the students and uh, just appreciate you families. Um, But I'm also really thankful for our leadership team and the group of people that have come together uh, to help lead that each week. And uh, specifically, I'm just really thankful uh, for Josh Salerno and Nathan Sommerfeld who helped me teach. And so if you don't know, we kind of do a rotation as we teach through the word with the students. And Josh and Nathan are part of that and just do a great job. And they uh, love the word of God. They love on the students. They teach well. And uh, they're dedicated and disciplined in their practice. And so I appreciate both of these men and how God is using them in our fusion ministry. And specifically this morning, I'm just really thankful for Nathan. I'm thankful uh, that God has led him to this point. Um, And he's going to share the word this morning with us. And uh, it has been a joy uh, to listen and to sit under his teaching. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God has through Nathan again this morning. And I know uh, that you will share in that, in the blessing uh, not just uh, because it's Nathan, but because it's the word of God and, um, and his desire to be faithful to that, um, I think is going to really be a blessing to us this morning. So let me just pray for him and uh, we'll turn it over. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for Nathan. I thank you for the word that you have given him, that you have worked with him uh, to prepare for us this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would allow him to speak exactly what you want him to speak. And God, I pray that you would just open our hearts to be ready and prepared to not just receive, but to apply and live out the truth of your word. And so God, may you be honored in his teaching of the word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's see. Is the microphone on? It is on. All right. I am very excited to be able to um, teach from God's word today. It's such a privilege, great opportunity. Um, so let's, let's open up our Bibles. Bonus points if you brought a paper Bible with you. But let's open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Um, actually, let's open up our Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, because that's where we're going to be reading from to start. So while you're doing that, I want to ask you, do you ever feel like your faith comes under fire? Do you ever feel like your faith is under fire? You know, it's inevitable that that happens, that our faith will come under fire. Now, it's not something that we're going to, that we can really avoid, but our response to that can change, and we can learn how to respond properly when our faith comes under fire. So let's open up to the book of Daniel. Um, So because this is just kind of a one-off series, it's going to be important for me to give a little context of what's going on. Uh, So I'm going to start in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Um, This is when the uh, Israelites are taken captive into Babylon. So um, let me read from here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The The Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God, and brought them into the land of Shinar. 
the house of the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family of the, and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand, stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were educated for three years, and at the end of this time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. And the chief priest, or the chief of the eunuchs gave them the names Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. I'm just going to refer them to Daniel, Meshach, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Keep things simple from here. But anyway, so we, we just wrapped up the, or my dad just wrapped up the series in uh, Nehemiah, we're building the wall. This is after that in our Bibles, but before that chronologically. So um, Nehemiah is actually part of the third group that left captivity in, of, in Babylon. Um, but one of the really cool things that I want to um, mention for us, oh, I'm already behind, like father, like son, right? Okay. <laughs> So one of the things I want to, <laughs> um, one of the things that I want to show you, uh, just to like show you that these are real events, real things that happened. Um, so Babylon was one of the greatest empires of ancient history. It was so large, and because of that, we've got a lot of um, corroborating archaeological evidence. It's very well substantiated. Now, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and also Daniel came as captives, they would have most likely been uh, brought through the main entrance, which was decorated with these striding lions. That was kind of uh, uh, Babylon's mascot, or their animal of choice. And I actually got to see these, the, the very ones from those walls that uh, Daniel, Meshach, and Abed, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have walked past. Um, yeah, I was not a captive, but I was being kind of captive along on that, that museum tour. But um, anyway, it's really cool to see those things that you read about and see them in real life. Um, and what I'm trying to get at here is that um, the reason I bring this up is because what we're going to read today, it's real. It actually happened. The people that are going to be talked about in this passage, they're real people. And um, I think this is more... I think this is better spoken in 1 Peter 1.16 where it says, For we did not follow cleverly despised myths when we made known to you the power of our coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then also a verse from the, from the uh, series that my dad is doing in the same book of the Bible, um, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, that which, are, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and which our hands have touched. This we can proclaim concerning the word of life. So um, this, what I want to show you is that this stuff is 100% real, and um, we can have confidence in what the Bible says. So now, these four men, and we're going to be focusing primarily on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they were taken from their families, they were taken from the culture, the place that they grew up, and they had like their identity stripped from them as Israelites. They were, they were indoctrinated basically for three years and taught how to act like a Babylonian, how to, um, how to stand in the king's presence. So 
Um, the, let's see, jumping to chapter 2, um, chapter 2, verses 48 through 49. Then, uh, let's see here. So, verses 48 through 49. Uh, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of, Dan of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So, Daniel had interpreted a dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, and um, because of that, Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel, and then Daniel appointed his trustworthy friends to be kind of assistants in um, ruling over this area and, and managing it. Now, one of the key figures which will be helpful for us to give some background information to is the person of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a real king, and I could talk a little bit about myself, but I thought it would be better if I let him introduce himself. So this is actually um, a cuneiform um, artifact that was written um, either by one of his servants or by himself. But on part of it, it says this. So this would be Nebuchadnezzar talking about himself. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the prince exalted, the favor of Marduk, the pontiff supreme, the beloved of Nabu, the serene, the ponsur of wisdom, who, who the way of their godhead regardeth, their favor, their feareth their lordship, the servant unwearied, the wise, the prayerful, the maintainer of Eziglia and Ezida, the chiefest son of Nabuplazer, the king of Babylon, I am. <laughs> so you can tell this guy's kind of full of himself, and that will definitely come up later in this. So he's just such a humble guy that the next thing he decides to do is build a 90-foot tall statue of himself um, and make it all out of gold. So then um, let's flip a page, or you might not need to flip a page. Um, starting in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, I'll just read this for us. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it, set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that, the, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The, and the herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and... Page break? Um, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. So, super humble guy Nebuchadnezzar is, forces people to worship his own carven, um, his own image of himself, or his own idol that he created. But you might be asking, like, why does it matter what we worship in the first place? Um, why does... Um, why does it matter what we worship? What's the big deal? Couldn't they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, couldn't they have just bowed down and asked for forgiveness later? Um, and so I think in order for us to understand this, we need to, kind of, we need to understand what worship really is. Now, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were probably thinking back to what their parents taught them back in their time in Israel when their parents told them about the Ten Commandments, what 
um, what the Lord gave to the laws that the that God gave to Moses. So we read about him in Exodus chapter twenty. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. They could have said, "So what? We can just." Let this pass by. We'll bow down this one time. That way we can keep serving God. There's a lot of ways that they could have justified this. But really what worship is, is what we ascribe value to. So Kirk and then our whole worship team, especially a lot of our uh, fusion students, they led us in an awesome set of worship this morning. And um, that's one of the ways that we like sing songs of praise for worship. But there's other ways that we ascribe worth or value to things. The ways that we spend our time, the ways that we spend our energy, our money even. And um, all of these things are how we place value into um, the things that we ascribe worth to. This is worship. So um, Shad, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose not to worship Nebuchadnezzar's image and chose to worship, um, and chose to worship the only true God. Now, they were putting their lives on the line. Nebuchadnezzar clearly said that anybody who refused to do this would be thrown into the furnace. Now, when, when we stand up as believers for the Bible, then or we stand up for what is true, this draws the attention of those around us. Uh, this, let's see. Nope, another. <laughs> uh, this draws the attention of people around us when we stand up and when we take a risk for God. And people will notice it. Now, um, I got to have a cool conversation with one of my coworkers. We were having a bike ride after work, and I was talking with him, and he was kind of asking me, like, why do you care so much about, um, about God? Why do you, like, care so much about what other people believe? And I just told him straight up, it's like, well, if I believe that what the Bible says is true, and if I believe what the Bible says about heaven and hell is true, then I would be... Not, I wouldn't be authentic to what I believe if I did not care about every single person around me. And um, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt the same way, is if, if they truly believed that the God that they worshipped was the real God, they wouldn't be authentic if they chose to worship anything else or put anything above it. Uh, so now let's continue in our passage here. Uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. This is a longer section, so just bear with me here. Uh, let's, see if, let's open up to, in our Bibles together. So uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. I get a break when I do this for Fusion because I just ask the students to read. <laughs> so I get that little break there, but I don't get it here. Um, <laughs> so therefore... At that certain time, the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down before, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship the image shall be cast into the burning furnace. Um, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them, or Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve 
my gods or worship the golden image I've set up. Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the, the harp or the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not, you shall be immediately cast into the burning furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were given two options. They could either choose to bow down, take the easy way out, say, all right, we'll, we'll worship your image this one time. Or they could stand up and they could say, we won't worship your, your false god. And that's what they chose to do. Now, Satan will try to tempt us with um, basically promising that he will make our lives more, he will make our lives easier if we just compromise our faith in some way. That if we make some compromise here or if we just stay quiet about what we believe, then he'll make our lives easier. We won't have to um, face the fiery trials that comes for standing up on God's word. Now, um, as Christians... Uh, we are not, we're not called to live the easiest life. Call, or Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily. Luke 9.23, I'm sure you've, or in Luke 9.23, Jesus calls us to take, take our cross daily. Now, I'm sure you've seen this pattern in your own life. The clearest example in the Bible is when Jesus was fasting in the desert. And Satan tempts him like, you can just turn those, those rocks into bread. And tempts him to exchange uh, spiritual truths for just appeasing his own physical comfort. And um, Jesus does not give in to that. And then again, Satan repeats the same tactic by telling Jesus that he would give the whole kingdom if he just takes the shortcut and, and bows down to Jesus. Or not bows down to Jesus, bows down to the devil. So um, one of the things that I've gotten to do, or actually something really cool, I like the Apostle Paul. He's a really cool character in the Bible. But he frequently compares our spiritual lives as a race. He frequently does that in the Bible. Now, one of the things I've gotten to do this summer, Brad's not here so I can pick on him. He got me into this wacky sport. But um, I've gotten to compete in multiple bike races this summer. And as an athlete, when I'm in a race, my goal is not to make myself comfortable. My goal is to win that race. Now, in our own spiritual lives, then our goal shouldn't be to be just like a, a closet Christian, just hiding where we can. Our goal is to do what God says, to live out our lives according to God's will and to be bold. And um, I think that when, when we're, sometimes we can face a temptation that we can just make things easy. But you know what? We get to, uh, we get to rest after the race is done and we'll have all eternity to do that. So uh, we need to be bold, be courageous for Jesus. Now, um, people are always going to challenge what you believe. So, uh, students of Fusion, uh, this is a great, um, great opportunity to talk about this because you guys are probably either headed off to school. How many of you are in school already, have gone back to school? Okay, a few. How many are still coming up, like still about to go to school? Okay, one, <laughs> Josh. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going off to, or I'm going to take classes tomorrow. But um, when you go to school, you're going to face people who challenge what you believe. They're going to be teaching things that are contrary to the truths that God says in the Bible. Now, we can just make ourselves comfortable and we can go along with the flow of that, or we can stand up and um, stand firm on the truths of God's, of God's word. Now, 
I'm really encouraged to see all of the, the Fusion students who have boldly stood up for what they believe and have boldly shared the gospel with their friends. I think that's super cool to see, and I'm always encouraged by them. And you might be thinking, well, all right, once I get out of high school, once I get out of college, it's all easy going, right? Well, you can ask any one of the adults around here. That's not the case. You're going to be facing people who challenge what you believe your entire life. When you go to work, when you're around your friends, people are going to challenge, you, challenge what you believe. And sometimes that's a good thing. It helps strengthen. It helps strengthen us. It helps us to learn and us have to dig deeper and um, really read what the Bible says and study it more. I've gotten to... Um, I've been challenged to learn a whole lot more after my coworkers been asking me questions and after um, I've had to try to come up with answers or say, you know what, I can't answer this, but let me see if I can um, find an answer for you. <laughs> or we'll see what the Bible says about that. So now let's pick, off, pick up where we left off. So chapter 3, verse 16, um, starting in chapter 3, verse 16. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three young men who stood up for what they believe, even when their faith was under fire and their lives were on the line. Um, one of the things that we can do to help, um, one of the things we can do before we're in the midst of that fire is we can build good friendships with solid believers around us to help encourage us. Those three men, I'm sure that they were encouraging each other and that they were helping each other stand firm on what they believed and standing firm on the tr standing firm on the truths of the true God. Now, I'm, one of the things we try to emphasize in Fusion and the Fusion Youth Ministry is building Christ-centered relationships. I think it's really cool. There's some friends of mine that, um, like Josh in particular, a friend that has stuck for a really long time, and we've grown closer, and he's been able to encourage me when, um, when I need help, and I've been able to encourage him, vice versa. It works two ways, and the more our faith gets put under fire, then the stronger those bonds become and the more we're able to help each other out. So I think this is really cool to see the friendships and the Christ-centered friendships, not just friendship around a mutual hobby or mutual sport, but really friendships around Jesus Christ is the most important thing and the one, um, the one bond that will last forever. Now, uh, let's look back at verses 17 and 18, just going back there again. So this is a little detail here. Uh, but, it, but this be so, our God, whom, but this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, how did they know that they were going to be delivered from King Nebuchadnezzar? How do you think that they came to this conclusion? So um, Nebuchadnezzar, I think the, the answer to this really lies in verse 15. So um, comparing Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo, if you know the story, you know that, that God saves them from the fire. But why didn't he save martyrs like John the Baptist or Stephen? Why does he allow some of his faithful followers to die? I don't think it was a lack of faith by either one of them. So I think the answer to this lies in verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar says this. 
Uh, this is Nebuchadnezzar the king. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you out of my hands? Now, if you've read the Bible, trying to call God into question, or trying to challenge God like that never turns out well. But Nebuchadnezzar hasn't read the Bible, apparently, and there wasn't a, they, he didn't read that yet. But um, he was challenging the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this wasn't just some person off the street. This was the king of one of the largest empires in ancient history. And so God was going to use the faith of these three young men to show how powerful and how marvelous he is. Now, um, if God were to just save everybody who put their lives on the line for, for God, then they really wouldn't be risking anything, would they? If he would have miraculously delivered every single one of his followers who risked their life, then people would be selfishly turning to the gospel for, or turning to the Bible and turning to Jesus just for an insurance policy or for protection. And that's not what God wants. He wants us to be truly seeking a relationship with him. So let's see uh, what happens next. Um, I spoiled it, but <laughs> starting in chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. Um, let's see. I've basically given up on the slides. Yikes. <laughs> so 19 through 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it usually was heated, and ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning furnace. Then these men bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their, um, and their other garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace overheated, the flame and the flame the of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the, into the fire? They answered and said, um, they answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered to them, but I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Now, there's some kind of like discussion about, or around who this fourth, um, who this fourth person or, um, yeah, who this fourth person is in the fire. And there's, there's good arguments going either way. Uh, so, like, option one is that it's an angel that's accompanying him through the fire. Um, or option two is that it's a before or pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ. And I kind of lean toward the latter option there. And I think that regardless of which, of which way, there's application there. We can be... We can stand firm because we know that God's going to be with us, even with our trials. He doesn't just say, all right, you guys go toast in there. I'm going to leave you alone. But he's walking with us, and he, nothing surprises him, even in our hardest trials. Now, picking up again in verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, and... Um, See, yeah, the satraps and the prefects and the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw the fire um, had not had any power over their body, over the bodies of those men. Their, the hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and, there, and no smell of the fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent an angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve or worship any other god except their own god. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire for a pretty long period of time. It wasn't just a couple seconds because there was enough time for Nebuchadnezzar to look, see there were three people, ask his counselors, the counselors responded, then they all gathered around. They were in there for a while. And in fact, the, uh, in fact Nebuchadnezzar had to call them out of the fire. They didn't just, they, they didn't just come out on their own like, got to get out of here. But they actually, he actually had to call them out. Now, I think that what we, can, what we can apply here is that it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than to be walking in the midst of royalty without him. I think that in our lives, I know that in our lives, it's way better off to be with Jesus than to be without Jesus, regardless of what our situation is. He brings us so much hope and so much confidence in our lives. Now, um, one of the things that that I want to point out here is that God's not going to waste our obedience to him. When we put our lives on the line, when we take risks, and maybe the risk you take doesn't put your lives on the line, but maybe it puts your job at the line or your, your grades. Or um, When we take risks for Jesus, he's not going to waste that. He's not going to waste the things that we try to do in order to glorify him. So um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had like this righteous stubbornness. And uh, God allowed, through his, allowed, um, God showed his mighty power through the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm in this trial and that they didn't give in. And so this gave God the opportunity to show to the king and a lot of his counselors the glorious power of, of God. And uh, let's see. And reading further, so when we read further in the chapter, we see that God, comp- we see some of the things that God accomplishes out of this obedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, um, I'm going to read just overlapping in chapter 3, verse 28. So let's read in our Bibles together again. Um, this is what Nebuchadnezzar has to say. Nebuchadnezzar answered, said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's, com- and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bod- bodies rather than serving... Um, rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses be laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, a couple things to to take note of in this passage here. First of all, um, this is a verse that can be taken out of context. Scripture taken out of context is dangerous, but um, people will say, well, the Bible condones tearing people limb from limb if they don't believe. That is not what's being said here, but this is Nebuchadnezzar's kind of still sinful and broken way of saying that, don't you guys speak bad about this God because I saw his actual power. Now, the second thing to take note of here is despite Nebuchadnezzar's enthusiasm to tell about what he saw to everybody else, then... He, I don't think at this point he still had a true um, saving faith in God. I don't think he had turned from his ways. And the reason I say this is because in chapter 4, verse 27, I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, Daniel, interpreting another dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, says this in his interpretation, or after his interpretation. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off of your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So I believe because...
because of that verse, he had not yet um, truly turned from his evil ways and truly praised the God of, of uh, the one true God. Now, one of the things that, what I think Sha- or Nebuchadnezzar did is I think that he just took the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he just added him to his list. So he's got his list of all these other gods and then he just takes the God Yahweh and then put it, puts it on top of this list along with his fake gods along with that. Now, this is something uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Jarris mentioned how we had our missionaries from South Asia, Joel and Mandy. He mentioned that uh, they've been visiting, and so you might get to know them a little bit. But one of the things they told me is that a common response from these people in South Asia is they take um, they, when they hear the gospel, they're like, this sounds really good. And so then they just add it to the rest of the gods that they have. They don't separate from that. And so um, they have to explain to them and say, like, well, in order to truly ser- serve this one true God, you have to set aside these other idols and these other false gods. And, um, and so they kind of have to try to communicate that message to them. And it can be a little tricky at times. And I've experienced something similar to this. Uh, on another bike ride with another coworker, you see a pattern here. But uh, I was asking him about, I was asking him questions about God and, and asking him what he believed. And he said, well, I just think that, you know what, the, all the gods, they're all real. And uh, the, the, like, Allah's real and Yahweh's real and every other one, they're all real. And we can just kind of all, they can all get along. So then I asked him um, a probing question. I asked, so if many of them, not all of them, but many of them claim that they created the earth and created the universe. So which one did? And he's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. Because either they, either one did and the rest are lying or they're all lying. But really, it doesn't make sense. That kind of belief in pluralism, which is what it's called, that we're all, or there's all these different gods and they all can coexist together, it doesn't really make much logical sense. And it doesn't work for Nebuchadnezzar to just add them onto the list of his false gods. Now, um, the Bible is, or the gospel is quite exclusive in the way that Jesus talks. He says, um, emphasizing this, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, John 14, 6. And that's very exclusive language. It doesn't say that I am a way or a, a truth or a life or a way you can get to um, the Father. So it's very exclusive language. Now, this, part, this next part is something that if this was part of a series, it'd be covered on another week. But I want to show you because they're not going to let me back up here again. So <laughs> as we follow Nebuchadnezzar, then uh, as we follow Nebuchadnezzar, we see that He's now gone from just rejecting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, the God that we serve, and um, rejecting that God now to uh, just adding him onto his other list of gods, like icing on top of a cake. And then finally, it was when God really had to break him down. There was a period in time, and I've got enough time to include this, so um, a really cool detail is... uh, one of the things is there, after this event, Daniel interprets a sep- second dream from 
uh, or second dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And in this dream, God tells him that if you don't repent, then you're going to be basically like a wild animal and you're going to um, you're going to basically go insane for a period of time. Now, a really cool archaeological detail in this as I was doing some research is that we've got um, really extensive like military records and like what I showed up there of him like writing down his own thoughts. We've also got um, records of construction projects that he's done and all of these different archaeological um, findings, but there's a certain time where there's none of that and there aren't any new constructions going on. There aren't any new military conquests going on. And so many archaeological archaeologists see that there's um, that that is likely a correlation to this time when Nebuchadnezzar um, where God basically um, lets Nebuchadnezzar go insane and for a period of time now after this period of time um, one of the really cool things is that I believe Nebuchadnezzar truly repents uh, and he repents because of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being able to display his power through that, through the other works, through other dreams, and um, through other events which God orchestrated. So at the end of Daniel chapter 4, uh, Daniel chapter 4, verses 36 through 37, I want to include this because it's a really neat detail in here. Um, so this is what Nebuchadnezzar had to say when God returned his sanity and when he returned um, his reason to him is how he said it. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar says this, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heavens, for his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So I think at this point, Nebuchadnezzar is truly praising the one and true God, and it would be really cool if we get to meet him and get to interact with him in heaven. That would be a really cool experience. So it's just amazing to see a 180 of this of this egocentric, brutal man, and see how he changes and he turns to um, realizing that he's just a, per, just a man and that God is the true God and that he's much more powerful. And I think it's really cool to see that. And I want to encourage you, as you guys go back to work or to school or when you guys go hang around with your family or friends, I want to encourage you to be bold, be courageous, stand up for the truth in the Bible. Because God is going to use that. He's going to use our obedience to him. And when we follow what he says, then I believe he can do great things through that. So let's pray as the worship team comes up and um, wrap up the, the morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you, uh, you recorded all of these amazing events, Lord, that we're able to read of your power and we're also able to see your power in our own lives, Lord. I just pray that, uh, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage and faith as we go about our lives, Lord. Um, I pray that we can boldly stand up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, and that we can um, be prepared to face the fire, even if um, if that means that if face the fire, if that means that we're going to follow you, Lord. And I just pray that you would give us all all of these things. You give us boldness, Lord, and courage. And I pray this in your name. Amen.